You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast. UFC 287. What's up, my duelists? It's your boy Feño, and here is another episode of the full preview. We're previewing UFC 287 this time. This is happening in Miami, and it features the rematch. I mean, rematch in MMA and the fourth encounter overall between Alex Pereira, your current middleweight champion, against the former uh, champion Israel Adesanya. A pretty solid card. Not much to say other than that. Um, a lot of cool fights. Some some cooler than others, as is usual. And yeah, I'm not saying much in this intro, so that's always a, a good sign that I'm going to talk good shit. But not really. Um, Today's episode is not sponsored, but I'm drinking um, Ultra Gold Monster Energy Drink. It tastes uh, like pineapple, I think. It's pretty good. No calories, by the way. <laughs> so, as it is tradition, we're going by topology order from bottom to top. We're going to talk about all the fights because that's what you're here for. So, let's get into it. Our first fight of the night is a strawweight fight between Sam Huge and Jacqueline Amorim. So, Huge, a hard-working all-rounder. She usually pushes forward, can pressure, but can fall in the trap of following opponents if they are moving like side to side, fainting a lot. She doesn't move her head much, but she puts her hands together well and is always ready to answer combinations in the pocket. She's good at doubling and tripling with the jab and look to move opponents into the hooks or the head kick. She's also a decent wrestler, can shoot singles in open space. Uh, she can put to the cage, transition to the double leg. Also strong from the body lock with trips. She can be taken down though, especially when she's moving her feet, but she works tirelessly to get back to her feet immediately, pushing the hips and posing or working her way up to the single. She's heading from top position, can patiently work from top guard or half towards the mount, and when she gets to the mount, she's very heavy, can put pretty good ground pound together. The cardio and durability are like the top assets of Sam Hughes, and she will take over fights if her foe gets tired. And on the other hand, we have Amorim, a very decorated BJJ player. On the field, she stays tight behind a high guard. She's a bit awkward, but she's athletic and powerful. Mostly defaults to a big overhand that plays straight into the fear of the takedown, because fighters already fear the takedown from her because she's so good on the ground. Her takedown centuries aren't great, but she does have strong finishes and can also just like go to her back to generate scrambles. She's dangerous with leg locks from bottom and during scrambles, but the, the bread and butter of your game is the top the top game. In, he, she has incredibly heavy top pressure, uh, crushing knee passes, and that allows her to get to mount from where she can attack the arms with Kimuras and arm, bar, and arm bars or take the back. So this one is a big step up in competition for, for Amorim. Huge might not be a a flashy athlete, but she's strong, durable, and by far the best put-together fighter she has ever faced. Not a lot in MMA to go by for Amorim. Uh, she has never been outside the first round. The chance of yet another dynamic finish is there for sure. 
Hughes has one submission loss in her record and her takedown defense hasn't been stellar so far. But at the same time, she probably... Amorim needs the early finish this time. Unless she just can bank like time on top position and she can win like that a uh, decision. Uh, Hughes has a good shot of dragging Amorim into deep waters and drowning her, especially if the conditioning isn't there for her. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, it comes to Hughes not having great takedown defense, not being dangerous early and relying a lot on scrambles. I think all of that will cost her here. So the pick is uh, Amorim by submission in round number one. I've taken the chance there. And with that, we keep moving through the prelims. Next fight is a featherweight bout between Steve Garcia and Shailen Nurdanbeke. Um, Garcia is pretty big for 145. I thought he was like well sized for 155, but he's dropping down a weight class for this one. He's a softball that fights from a low stance. He has pretty fast but loopy hands. He's creative on the lead, on the lead, and mixes up combinations with bodywork and knees. He's a hard leg kicker too. He can walk into strikes, especially in early into fights, but he has like good recovery, can wrestle while he's rocked. He's pretty well-rounded, can do a bit of everything. He's a decent grappler and takedown defender. Uh, he also can shoot like a single leg of his own, but the thing that he wants to do is like put big strikes together. He has a decent gas tank despite throwing pretty much everything super hard. And similar to that, on the other hand, we have Nurjan Beckup. Uh, very strong and athletic. You can tell he's look. He looks like a tank. He's a bit stiff on the feet and throws everything super hard, but he's dangerous and dynamic. He keeps combinations short and can move his head and show show like good footwork during spots here and there, but can be frozen by fades or be vulnerable during during like prolonged combinations. He has very strong hips and that helps with defending takedowns and reversing during scrambles. He has a quick level change of his own and he has decent finishes for takedowns. And that like rounds up his game. He's heavier on top position, but not very active. And he has like powerful ground and pound, but as I said, like not very active with it. Uh, Nurdanbekov also good cardio for the amount of power that he puts into everything. So that said, it should be a fun scrap between two heavy hitters without much subtlety. Garcia, I would say, has the edge in creativity and bursts of violence. I think he's a little bit more dangerous because of the risk he takes. Uh, Nordenbekov, Nord on the other hand, is better put together overall. He's more tight technically. You can tell by the way he throws punches. Uh, he's less vulnerable during exchanges. And he has like a more steady approach as opposed to Garcia that has like this like big explosions and moments of high aggression. The deciding factor in picking here to me comes in the form of Nurdanbekov being like having more compact punching mechanics as I was referring earlier. A better defense and that will probably allow him to find the sheen of Garcia more consistently. And also, like, he can bank time in top position if he gets the takedowns. So, yeah, I mean, this one should be fun. But the pick is Nordenbekov by decision. Moving on is a catchweight bout at 160 pounds. Uh, but basically, lightweight division between Trey Ogden and Ignacio Bahamondes. So, fun fact, if anyone is wondering if I know Bahamondes because we're both Chilean, that's racist. 
but actually I do know him. <laughs> His brother lives in the same town that I side that I do. Uh, I've only seen Ignacio in person once, but I, I know his brother pretty well. They are like a legendary like kickboxing family here in the country. So just if anyone is wondering, uh, yeah, let's get into the analysis. Uh, Ogden, he's an active fainter. He mostly strikes from the left side despite fighting orthodox. Um, a lot of the he plays a lot with the changeup of the jab and the left hook. Uh, he has a variety of leg kicks. He's pretty dexterous with the left kick. Uh, good at inside leg kicks and chambered high kicks. A straight rights to the head and body and a stabbing front kick are most of the output from the right side. He's decent at moving forwards and backwards. He's pretty versatile in his approach and keeps a, a steady volume. He's well-rounded, not great offensive wrestler, but solid defensively. And he's a good scrambler with dangerous guillotine and back takes. I've seen him like Actually pretty agile on the ground and the, the, the guillotine is pretty good. And on the other hand we have Bahamondes. It's Bahamondes by the way, it's not Bahamondes. And we'll hear that one a lot <laughs> during the weekend I feel. But yeah, he's a long switch stance kickboxer. Circus on the outside, keeps a very high pace with straight shots from both stances. And a variety of kicks. He comes. He's a black belt in karate since like he's like 10 years old, so yeah. Uh, he attacks mostly upstairs, but can target the body with both the hands and the legs. Not a layered boxer, boxer in the pocket, but tries to limit exchanges and can move his head and his feet when he puts when he's put on the defensive. He's hitable by counters, but he's very tough and conditioned. Uh, he's decent in the clinch and has a pretty good, like fierce layer of takedown defense. Uh, when he has been taken down, he has like an active guard with good priorities. He's always trying to get back to his feet. He doesn't like waste time playing guard on the ground. Uh, and yeah, I think in this one, Octane really needs to engage Bahamondas, uh, making it ugly, and he needs to strike hard. Like in his last fight against Saul Hoover, that was also like this kickboxer, dynamic kickboxer. Ogden tried to play like a, like an outpointing game and it worked because Saul Hoover had like very low output. Uh, I don't think that's going to work here because if he tries to score Bahamondes in a kickboxing match, his chances aren't good. Bahamondes is quicker, uh, his strikes are harder, he won't fade as the fight goes on. And also like Ogden not being a great sh shoot takedown artist and Bahamondes being decent and using distance and maneuvering his way out of initial shots also makes things harder for the American. That all said, like, Ogden has a shot. Um, he's pretty he's pretty well-rounded, and when you're like that, you can make stuff happen. But but in this match, this matchup is a bit rough for him. I'm picking Bamondas to win a decision on the feet. And we're at strawweight. It's Cynthia Calvillo versus Lupita Godinez. So Calvillo uh, used to be a dynamic grappler with very dangerous submissions. Nowadays, mostly a low activity will run fighter. She likes to fight in neutral space, pot shotting with one twos and low, and low kicks. Decent popping her hands and okay defense. She's also like good at timing kick catches for takedowns and can also try to drag the fight to the floor from clinch engages. Solid top control player and good scrambler from the bottom. Uh, the biggest problem is the activity. She has like an aversion to make big picture adjustments or taking risks nowadays. And Godinez, on the other hand, an athletic wrestle boxer. Heavy on the front foot, always ready to throw a big overhand or change levels into a takedown. 
She fights mostly with a stiff jab and, and a left hook that that complement the, the overhand. She's not a pocket boxer, but she can put her hands together if needed. Has uh, some ideas about head movement, I would say, especially ducking under strikes, which helps with getting clinches or shooting for takedowns. Uh, but she mostly struggles with straight shots. She's physically very imposing. Doesn't have great entries on, their, on her takedowns, to be honest, but she's a very good chain wrestler. And she can get, and when she gets top position, she shines there uh, with traditional like BJJ top control, but also with rides and very like heavy ground and pound. I think Alvillo has the skills to make this uh, way more competitive than people are expecting. I think most people are like blindly picking uh, loopy here uh, Calvillo has a good jab can probably compete with Godinez in every phase um, This is back at 115 and I, I expect Calvillo to look strong here The problem is that Calvillo doesn't seem to take over fights anymore She seems to content to have close fights like taking turns in low activity kickboxing matches And if she tries to have that with Godinez, Godinez will put volume and power on her I cannot expect Calvillo to break the habit of her last performances because it's been quite a few already. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe dropping weight classes is what she needs, but we cannot bank on that. We're going Godinez by decision on this one. And next fight is all the way up to heavyweight. We have Carl Williams versus Chase Sherman. So Williams, athletic, quick. Fights behind one-twos and leg kicks from the outside, throw combinations, is forced to change and has a good level change into a double leg in open space. That's like his thing, like he wrestles a lot. He can also like finish doubles, singles and trips against the cage. Not great control or ground and pound, but he can hit like very spectacular mad returns. Usually gets tired wrestling that match, but he stays composed when he gets tired. And more often than not, let's be honest here, his opponents are more tired than he, than he is, and that's what allows him to win fights. And on the other, in the other hand, we have Sherman, a pretty consistent striker. When when Sherman is on, he looks like a decent boxer. He sets up meaningful combinations. He moves his head. He baits counters. He moves his feet well. Uh, sprinkles his his boxing game with heavy leg kicks. But the thing is that when he loses handle of a fight, he can get into like repeated exchanges with his head in the center line, can get into a predictable rhythm. Uh, he's also good at finding spots in the clinch, especially with elbows during breaks and knees. And Sherman has okay cardio. Uh, the, the power is kind of average for heavyweight, like he's not going to put you out with one punch. But one thing that he does have is very good finishing instincts. And uh, the creativity always helps him to fight the finish when he has someone hurt. To me, this fight really comes down to Sherman not being a very good wrestler. <laughs> On the fact that when he's forced to wrestle or grapple, he also gasses super hard. He can maintain a pretty good pace on the feet, but not when forced to grapple. At least that's what we've seen in previous fights. Other than that, he's a better striker than Williams. Uh, maybe a bit slower, but he could exploit Williams' bare-bow striking game. But I cannot trust him to do so. Uh, Williams is winning a smothering decision in this one. And with that, we find ourselves in a middleweight bout. It's Gerald Mills shirt, GM3, 
he fights against Joe Pfeiffer. Is it Pfeiffer? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Mr. Uh, Sotpo fights well with the 1-2 and a very heavy left leg that he can throw to the body and to the legs. Despite a somewhat like plodding footwork, uh, he moves pretty well on the outside, can move opponents into shots. He mostly relies on limb backs and slips to bait shots and has a pretty good eye for them. Like he baits a lot of shots despite like the wonky mechanics on his evasion techniques. Uh, the problem is that because of the wonky mechanics here, the, those defensive mechanics can fall apart during prolonged combos. And he can tend like to turn his back to opponents. We saw him in his last fight, like turning his back and, and jogging out, out of exchanges. Uh, but sometimes he remembers to pivot or grab a clinch to reset exchanges. And that looks pretty good. He's decent at surprising with takedowns when moving opponents around the cage. And from top position, he has very solid top control. Can posture up for heavy ground and pound. And uh, with Mitchard, he's excellent with submissions, especially during transitions, a very like MMA oriented submission game, especially with the, with the front headlock. The guillotine is deadly from Mitchard. And we have contender serious alumni Pfeiffer, heavy handed pressuring boxer with hard leg kicks. That's a decent jab and wait for counters with it. Lips in with the left hook to the body a lot too and pairs that with the big overhand. They're also good at catching people with the, with the shack hook when they're trying to close in on him. He maintains a steady pace. Oh, the depth of his striking is somewhat of a question mark for now. We haven't seen him like dig, uh, dig very deep into, he, into the bag of tricks. He's a physically strong wrestler with a, with a very good level change. And from top position, he's controlling, controlling and heavy. Uh, he passes with heavy knee pressure and favors the arm triangle when he gets to either mount or side control. That's like his go-to move. This is a very big step up in competition for Pfeiffer. Mirisha will be the most, the most experienced and well-rounded fighter that he has faced. Um, that makes this a very hard fight to predict because we don't know that much against about Pfeiffer against this level of opposition. Uh, Pfeiffer has a physicality edge, but we don't know how the gas tank uh, holds up against someone this good, you know, like sometimes you can fight like comfortably for three rounds against like lesser opponents because your physical advantages allow you to like manage the fight better, but maybe, maybe even though Pfeiffer is the better athlete here, maybe Mirishar can can make him work harder than he expects. Uh, Pfeiffer power could mean an early finish here too. Uh, but also he lacks like experience against high-level southpaws. Pfeiffer can surprise for sure. Uh, he looks promising, but from what what I've seen on tape, nothing to me indicates that he's a better fighter than GM3. I'm taking a chance here. I'm picking the underdog. Is measured by third round submission. That's my pick. We're back to the strawweight division for this one. Mitchell Watterson Gomez, formerly known as just Mitchell Watterson, she fights Luana Pinheiro. Watterson, who I'm calling just Watterson from here on, just for the sake of not saying Watterson Gomez all the time. She's a karate-based striker, fights from a very long distance despite her height. A lot of throwaway strikes from way outside and feints. That's where all the gifts from Watterson here in there come from. 
She usually tries to attack with naked kicks with her very dexterous legs or tries to blitz in with flurries of punches and skip out on an angle or grab clinch. That's like what she does mostly. She has a variety of takedowns from the clinch, especially like hip throws and headlocks, that kind of stuff. And she has good eye for strikes in transition that runs her game. Um, also like a, a pretty tricky knee tap takedown. Uh, so she doesn't have to change levels very low. She just can like shoot for the for above the waist and grab the knee with the other. She turns the corner very very well with that. Uh, once on the ground, she's an active scrambler from bottom. Uh, from top, she's most of a a controlling grappler. And on the other hand, we have Pinero. She's athletic and stocky. Likes to find a neutral space behind her jab. And she changes levels with her jab, usually big overhand and also like left hook with pretty good power. She can blitz alternating hands with, with decent power. Uh, the distance and the level change and also clinches all are like her layers of defense. Like don't, do not expect like very like layered uh, head movement, but we between those three, she can put together like she can stay safe against most situations. She's very good at hip throws. Uh, she can get them from the wizard and more, more impressively from the headlock. That's one cool thing that she does. She's heavy, like heavy from top position. And she's also a, a good mat wrestler. Can control falls from traditional positions and from the headlock. She's pretty good at snapping down people. She has a variety of submission attacks and heavy ground pound, and that's what makes her dangerous there. I think Warzone is losing a step, and Pinheiro comes into this fight with a lot of momentum. I think this one will be close and competitive thanks to Warzone experience and the lack of thereof by Pinheiro. Pinheiro has the power edge, but Warzone can compete with her everywhere, and Warzone is always annoying and will probably have the condition in advantage. Uh, miss anyone's fight depends mostly of how much of a step Waterson has lost. But I think I'm picking Waterson to win a decision here. She's just uh, annoying and tricky to fight for in inexperienced fighters. So yeah, Waterson by decision. I'm back to middleweight again for the last fight of the prelims. We have Kelvin Gastelum versus the action man Chris Curtis. So Gastelum, bouncy southpaw. All about entering range with the 1-2. Plays a lot with feints and the rhythm of it, so it sounds like very one-dimensional, but she has some depth for the, for the minimal tools that he uses. Uh, right hooks and left kicks round up the game on the feet. He mostly base strikes getting out of range, but he can also move his head well in open space, So, but sometimes he doesn't remember to. <laughs> he's very quick and powerful. Uh, he's active. But his minimal toolset means his entries can be figured out despite all the rhythm play and the feints and all the kind of stuff. Um, he's a grindy wrestler when he needs to. Can surprise with quick shots, but the thing with Gastelum is that his finishes here at middleweight don't often result in control time. Gastelum is a pretty good scrambler, very agile, uh, but he can make mistakes in transitions, especially when he's trying to get up to his feet. Uh, cardio, very decent, and gasoline is absurdly durable. Like, even when he gets robbed, he just gets back to his feet like nothing happened. 
and his opponent is Chris Curtis. A uh, crafty southpaw boxer, very picky with his shots, I would describe. Uh, counter punches a lot, uh, good variety and punch selection, can, and can also fill the gaps with solid kicks. Curtis has good defense, makes use of a high guard, slips, and footwork to evade the longer combinations. Uh, but he mostly likes to counter early in exchanges, probably after one or two punches. If you put together like a long combination, he's going to focus on defense. Uh, Curtis is also good at same time counters, cross counters, uh, or when he finds himself in in open stance matchups, just like catching people with his left hands because before the opponent catches him with the right. Uh, his takedown defense is pretty much bulletproof. He's good at fighting grips, has very heavy hips, and mostly like fits the single leg to limp, limp leg out of shots. The biggest flaw of Curtis, other than than the low volume, is that he needs to always has have like his feet his feet set for exchanges. That means that people circling on the outside can move him into shots or frustrating with lateral movement. I think this is a very interesting fight between southpaws. The close stage matchup I feel favored Curtis. Uh, he's a more layered and resourceful boxer. And have looked comfortable fighting Salpos in the past. Actually, he comes into this fight from a, from a Salpo matchup against similarly stocky and fast to Gastelum Joaquin Buckley, even though the, the skills are pretty, pretty different. The big thing that makes me side with Kelvin though here is the volume and the movement. Or Curtis is simply too picky with his attacks, as I said. Um, you cannot rely in hurting a fighter like Kelvin Gastelum. Even at the stage of his career, Gastelum, Granitchin, he has been dropped by very big punchers in the form of like Adesanya, Whitaker, um, and Canineer. And I'm not saying like Curtis is not at, the, at that league, but the low volume means he will have less opportunities to find those spots and also mean that he will have trouble putting him out if, if he finds like a knockdown or something like that. Uh, Curtis will probably find some big counters, uh, especially if he figures out uh, Kelvin's entries. But I think Gaslum wins a decision here just based on activity. That, that's how I feel, so Gaslum by decision. And it's time for the main card. We open up with a bantamweight bout between Raul Rosas Jr. versus Christian Rodriguez. So Rosas, athletic monster scrambler. A lot of sub attempts from classic BJJ positions, but he's also pretty mindful of maintaining top position. Uh, he's very good at scrambling out of bad positions. Hard ground and pound, but sometimes forget to mix it in. He sometimes gets in that like BJJ grind of just like maintaining position and wrestling and not like mixing up the ground pound. Uh, on the feet, a lot of like long range kicks and big movements like big overhands and that kind of stuff. And all, all in work of setting up a quick level change. And he has a pretty quick level change. And he's also, technically as a wrestler, he's good, not great, but he's very tenacious and he can chain like doubles and singles. And, and also as, as an MMA native, he's very good at using the cage to his advantage during takedown attempts. And on the other hand, we have Rodriguez. He's like cool and collected on the feet. Sharp and big one twos. Uh, the elbows can flare a bit too much when he's throwing like more longer combinations. But he has power and creativity. Uh, 
he set up kicks and spinning attacks pretty well. And as long as he has time and space, he can be very dangerous. He strikes pretty hard. And also in transitions, uh, with strikes on clinch breaks, and with submission attempts too, he's pretty solid. Uh, the biggest problem is that when he can, when he's put on the back foot and reacting overall, he can get caught with strikes, especially in transitions and surprise with takedowns. As I said, like he gets too keen on, on faces, so you just can just like change faces and surprise him with takedowns in the clinch with, or maybe you're trying to wrestle him and come, come up with a strike upstairs, that kind of stuff. Uh, at first I thought uh, the, it was the UFC giving Rosses, uh, a guy who is not very good at defending takedowns. Um, but I think this could be this could shape up to be an interesting challenge uh, for the UFC prospect that is Rosas here. <laughs> Rodriguez is very hard to submit. Uh, he debuted at one forty five, so one weight class up, uh, fought a very good wrestler in JSP, and he was not submitted and actually won the the last round. I feel. Uh, I think uh, Rodriguez will have a, a pretty big edge in skill and power on the feet. But at the end of the day, it comes to Rosas being very aggressive and active. And that means he will find the takedowns because Rodriguez struggles with the quick transitions. Um, that's Rosas' stuff. Like, Rosas is the, the MMA grappler that grapples like a very good MMA fighter despite this stage of, his, of the career he's in. Uh, I think Rosas will struggle in the future, in the future against like well put together strikers that can wrestle. And uh, Rodriguez is like a, a a pretty good striker and good at defending submissions. But I think that the pressure and the grappling and the aggression activity from Rosas is going to be too much. So yeah, I think Rosas is winning this one submission on the second round. Next up is uh, 170 bout welterweight. It's Kevin Holland versus Santiago Ponsinibio. Holland is an annoyingly long striker from distance. He has a variety of kicks and straight punches. He's vulnerable, as he's most vulnerable when he's close in distance without moving his head. Uh, in the pocket, he puts long combinations together. He's pretty fluid there and surprisingly, surprisingly okay defense in the pocket. To be honest, like. Holland is the weird long guy that looks very vulnerable in open space and then gets in the pocket and as and there you can see him like moving his head, guarding with his forearm and his shoulders. Uh, so yeah, I'm not saying he's a like a killer in the pocket, but he's surprisingly good there. He's also like very good at frame framing and finding the strikes in the clinch and during clinch breaks. And he's very long, so he can find clinches, loose clinches from positions that you wouldn't expect him to. Uh, he's good at using, pretty good, I would say, uh, at using his length to defend takedowns, especially with the wizard. But he can be taken down by good entries in open space. That has been like his big flaw. Uh, he's a constant scrambler and very annoying to deal with from the bottom. But if you're like very good at controlling positions, you can put him flat on his back. And on the other hand, we have Ponsinibio. Uh, Ponsinibio fights behind a lot of dipping jabs to the body and to the head. And also, when he establishes the jab, he starts feigning with the steps, with the step of the jab a lot, to set up the follow like the overhand and the left hook. It's it's always like the one, two, three with Ponsinibio. Uh, pretty good fo footwork in open space. 
uh, he likes to like go in and out, sometimes he just retreats, sometimes he takes an angle after attacking. Uh, the footwork can lose form during Pocky's exchanges though. Uh, we've seen Ponsinibio like get out position and turn uh, turn his back during exchanges. And uh, he also defends with a lot of big reactions, like very big parries and and like step backs. So so if you fade him and can trick him, you can make him like make a big mistake there. Hard leg kicks at variety and help him to regain initiative when he's being pushed back. And uh, despite the mostly minimal toolset, I would say Ponsinibio is quite versatile. He's pretty smart about setting up his hooks, depending on the reactions he gets. I think Ponsinibio is at his best when he can get on people's faces and force them into bad reactions with his jab. Stroke takedown defense, and he's a pretty good grappler overall, has been a black belt for a very long time now. Despite his limitations, uh, Ponsinibio is probably smart and tough enough to make this. Uh, the dog fight that he needs to win. Ponsinibio won't be convinced to not jab against a taller fighter as other fighters have been, and Cannon also probably find good use for his stiff, stiff leg kicks on this one as he did against Neil Magny. That being said, I just feel like he's a bit too busted to make it work against a guy with attributes like Holland does. Uh, Holland has a tremendous chin. Uh, a lot of pop in his punches and a pretty decent gas tank. And that and the length and the ability to crank in the pocket too or grab clinches, that all means that Ponsinibio will have to work incredibly hard to get to him. And the durability differential is slightly to show here. Ponsinibio doesn't have the shin that he used to. It can get interesting late for sure, but I think Holland might get the finish on the feet against an aging Ponsinibio. I'm picking Holland by knockout on the second round. Next one is a good one, it's Bantamweight. Rob Font fights Adrian Yanez. So Font, aggressive, high-paced boxer, fights behind a very long jab and looks to put combinations based on the reactions to that jab. He can track people with long punches under the retreat or can also stay his ground and throw hard in the pocket where he can go to the, go to the body as well. He keeps a high guard and can sleep in coming shots to get into the exchanges that he wants. He can turn long punches into loose collar ties from which he's very good at attacking with overcuts. He often changes stances to find like new looks, like a kick or something, or shift into orthodox combos. He's very strong in the clinch where he fires strikes immediately. He fights grips and attacks on the breaks with elbows especially, he's pretty good at that. Uh, with knees too because he's very long and he also is a good wrestler like good entries okay finishes and doesn't need much space or control for big ground for big ground pound uh, fall is very hard to take down or control in the ground he's very active with butterfly hooks uh, looks to come up with a single all the time and on the other hand we have Janius uh, I would describe as an upright sense boxer very fast hands, uh, good variety, and he can throw on the counter at a hair trigger or put together uh, combinations moving forwards, attacking both the head and the body. He mostly looks to make like a subtle like slip and come back with a combination when he gets his reads. Otherwise, he makes use of a, of a pretty good high guard to keep himself safe. The sense and the high guard allow him to to defend kicks pretty effectively 
uh, he has easy access to checks from there and he's pretty adept at parrying kicks across and answering with counters too. He can be pushed back by combos when he doesn't have his reads and his, his defense can look suspect uh, at those moments. Jace has big power and durability and seems to get better as fight goes on, has good conditioning too. The wrestling and grappling have looked solid but haven't been tested at this level of opposition to be honest. This is a very interesting clash of styles between two of the best boxers in the division and, and probably the sport to be honest. The aggression and pace of fought and his fast starts are surely putting a big test on Janus, who will have trouble like getting his reads for counters. Janus, I think in this one will need to leave more than he's accustomed for, accustomed to, that he had to adjust in the Randy Costa fight. Uh, he needs to do that but earlier because Fond is more dangerous. Uh, the X factor here though is that Fond's chin seems to not be in a great place. After getting dropped repeated times by Chiro and, and Aldo, and that paired with Janus, that is a pretty comparable puncher to those guys, and also like pretty good in the counter too. Um, I think Janus has the hands and the physical attributes, and the smarts too, to at least be competitive with a very good version of Font. Uh, even though I would admit this is a hard matchup for Janus, but with the current the current state of Font's durability, I don't know man, I think he's going to be cracked too hard, uh, picking Janius to win by knockout on the second round. And with that we find ourselves in the co-main event, and it's Gilbert Durinho Burns versus Jorge Masvidal. Burns constantly fading in the outside, especially with the level changes. He fights behind a jab and hard leg kicks, looking to set up the overhand and the left hook. Uh, time across counter too, uh, especially if he gets a read on the opposing jab or also like change levels into a takedown. He has big power, good durability, decent cardio, physically strong in the clinch, can transition through strikes or look to get the fight to the mat with body lock takedowns, with trips or dropping to the legs against the cage looking for the double, the single. He's a brilliant scrambler from brown position. He will generate space and give no openings for mat returns. Mixing the technical grappling with ex uh, flashing explosiveness. In top position, smothering heavy as a variety of submission threats that are like he's very technical but are also aided by his strength, his grip, his squeeze. He's especially dangerous with his mouth game as he can finish like arm triangles, take the back looking for the rear naked choke and has also like very good arm bars both from like the top mount and from the back take. So he's, he's a wizard on the ground. And opposing him, we have Masvidal. Masvidal was once a, a very crafty boxer who fought behind a very good job. But I think he now mostly fights in bursts behind big movements, filling the gaps with kicks. He punches into kicks and kicks into punches uh, very well. One of the best in, in MMA when he's when he's on at that, has very good kick defense uh, with Paris, has a high guard, have movement, keep him safe on the feet. Uh, the problem with uh, Masvidal has head movement is that he's mostly reactionary, he's not very integrated into his movements. 
So you can you can set him up with like feints or pairing attacks. Masvidal is decently strong in the clinch, and he's very good at finding strikes in transitions, like big elbows or knees. But the problem with Masvidal is that he can be too content to be held against the cage. I don't know if he's worried about his cardio or what. And same with takedown defense. Um, when Masvidal is on, he's very good defending takedowns. Strong sprawler, good at fighting grips. But if you drag and drag and drag, he can like lose focus and you can like put him on the ground. He won't accept like top position easily, but it's it's easy to stall him and win minutes in those positions. Um, Masvidal is a very solid grappler. He's very dangerous with ground and pound and has very strong base from top position. But when he's on the on the bottom, he mostly worries about staying safe and trying to like safely work his way to his feet. I think Masvidal was probably a very bad matchup for Gilbert, but Masvidal has seen better days. His physicality and his technical skills both have seemed to have deteriorated. It is still a tricky one to predict in their current forms, but I think Burns just fights a style that leads itself to win rounds, and Masvidal doesn't, you know? Masvidal can win on the feet, but Burns can keep it close with big moments. You can never know when Burns is going to land something big on the feet. And if things aren't going Burns' way on the feet, he can always try to grapple. And even if the takedowns aren't working, you, you cannot trust Masvidal to, n to not lose huge chunks of the fight with his back against the cage. If Masvidal shows up in a form like similar to what he did in the first Usman fight and the cardio Easter, I think this could be a bad night for Gilbert. But, I mean... Trusting him to show up like that is not very reliable at this point, I would say. I think the the logical pick here is Burns by decision. And finally, the main event. It's Alex Pereira versus Israel Adesanya. Uh, two or four, whatever you like more. So once again, this one comes to adjustments. We've seen this fight before. And they have now fought in MMA uh, with MMA rules. So we were presented with quite a few dynamics here. Asanya, I think we will be well advised to try to be on the front foot. Despite the success that he had at times sitting back on the previous fight, this also gave Pereira the moments to take the initiative and, lie, and land like the harder shots. That's uh, one of the reasons uh, Issa didn't push forward as much, I think, is because Pereira is good at checking kicks and doesn't concede uh, ground as easily. So Alessandra wasn't like pursuing pressure as much, I think, for that reason and not only because the game plan was to sit back. Alessandra would need to put his combos together, circle and resume using pressure in spots, but he needs to avoid getting pushed against the fence. Pereira, on the other hand, would be wise to establish the jab earlier this time around and, and find out what what's easy adjustment in the face of the jab because he most likely has something cooking there. Uh, Pereira needs to be putting combinations against the fence as, as much as he can. Um, the clinch is an interesting place for the rematch. Uh, I think Pereira mostly struck easy in the clinch in the first fight, despite 
easy being the one who was having the the gripping advantage. I think I should probably try to establish like a good position in the clinch quick, strike and disengage. The prolonged clinches were, weren't really working that well because Pereira is very willing to just strike for whatever position. Uh, Pereira on the other hand could bring some adjustments himself in the clinch, especially better like head pressure and grip fighting. He was a better a bit too content to just like establish posture in the face of what Adesanya was presenting to him. Um, I think he should look for like big knees and punches as he did on the first fight. The grappling, despite what we saw the first time, is still a bit of a question mark. Easy dominated the round that he found himself of top position, but he needed a Pereira mistake to get there. Pereira was not able to get up uh, on that round. But at the same time, he was the one that completed a successful, successful takedown against Alessandra. So, despite all the times that we've seen these fighters face each other, this is still a very compelling matchup. And it feels like if you give Alessandra enough opportunities, he should eventually win it. But because it's always been close and both have hurt each other in the past. My prediction comes really to Alessandra having to make more adjustments coming into this fight. Uh, as opposed to Pereira, who can probably implement the reads that he made in the course of the previous fight. And he also comes like with, uh, with the confidence, with the idea of what to do in the face of Adesanya. It's really anyone's fight, uh, but if I'm here to make picks, so I'm picking Pereira to win by knockout on the third round. And with that, we come to the end of the podcast. I'm going to answer a question. That was asked to me in our Discord server. Um, Sports G asked me, who suffers more, Adesanya or Pereira, from the other being almost equivalent in size? I think both guys uh, feel awkward fighting someone as long, but I think Easy has more, most of his game around having that length advantage. Uh, I think we've seen him like twice already being very uncomfortable, presented with a with a somewhat uh, equal guy in lankiness, <laughs> both in Blachowicz and now Pereira. I think Pereira having more tools from close range and also like just being more of an exchange guy. Uh, is it? Look, gets to look very good in the pocket, but that's because he always, for example, against Whitaker, he was always controlling the engagements and the distance, always putting a, a barrier between himself and the other fighter that the other fighter had to close to get to him. That's why he gets to look so good, like sparking people in the pocket like he did, did against Whitaker or Costa, for example. Uh, but... But when he doesn't get that, uh, he doesn't get to look as impressive. We saw that against Petori, that it's not, not as long, but kept on the face of Izzy. And Izzy didn't have as much chances to like hurt him very bad. So yeah, I think I think it's it's Izzy, the one that, that suffers more. And he also asks, what's the difference between like long and tall archetype going off some of the fighters. I think fighting long uh, 
relies uh, a fighter that fights well long i would say adopts a more wide stance to extend mostly the the reach of the jab and long fighter what the long fighter wants to do is is creating a, a very long range that you have to like a barrier around you that you have to cross to get to the other fighter and and for example john jones was very good at fighting long uh not a very active jabber but he always was framing with his his very long arms and was also using very long range weapons with his round kicks and the front kicks he was always like keeping you way outside and when you close the distance he had the clinch as an answer to that and and long fight and tall fighters are mostly about making you uncomfortable about uh punching you because they they make you like punch up and and also like they have these like like weapons that are from close range but have more range that you would expect like for example uh, fighting tall it's a lot about like using your your elbows and your knees from boxing range and surprising people with that I think John Jones was also very good at fighting tall when people close close in on him. That's one 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 of his best qualities that he was like good in different ways, good at being long and at being tall. And also like the advantage on the clinch of using your levers on the clinch of having good access to to elbows and knees from positions that our fighters didn't. And also the fact that like you can like just pop straight punches uh, from your normal posture and the other fighter has to punch up that it's always like and there's dangers to that too like you can get over get hit with overhands we've seen that many times let's remember James Big here but yeah I think it's there's there's a chance that you can do both well but but also like you you can also like be a specialist in just one of the two for example i see i think uh shafka rachmanov very good at fighting tall not very interested in being like a very long fighter like he has his long range tools but when he shines is when he uses his his length in in close quarters and i think that's very interesting i think uh fighters that fight well tall are not very common in mma mostly because coaches want what tall fighters to fight long most of the time even though sometimes they do not shine in those spaces i think kevin holland is another fighter that would benefit a lot from fighting tall but yeah i mean we can we can talk more about that in another occasion uh, i hope that's that's useful for at least starting a conversation. Um let's check the fights that I think you should watch on this one. Um I think if you want like an action fight early in the card, Steve Garcia versus Nurdanbekov is it's going to to bang. Maybe not the the highest quality fight, but it's going to be it's going to be competitive and it's going to be packed with action. Uh, Mishard versus Joe Pfeiffer is very intriguing to me. Uh, if Pfeiffer wins this one, 
might might mean that he's the real deal. Maybe he just wins because he's more physical, but maybe he he gets to show some skills that we haven't seen before. And if Mishart wins this one, he deserves like a higher ranked opponent for sure. Then what else we have? I think Gastelum versus Kurt is probably going to be fun. Maybe it gets a little bit too repetitive. I hope Curtis comes like well prepared to deal with Gastelum's game and we get to see some like good exchanges and that. Um Holland versus Ponsinibio is going to be a dogfight. Um it's going guys are going to go hard. Font versus Janius, probably the best fight of the night for in my opinion, is the one that I'm looking forward to most. Very excited for that one. Burns versus Masvidal depends a lot of in what shape Masvidal turns out. But if Masvidal uh, shows into this fight looking good, this could be a very good fight. And the main event, obviously, even though we've, we've seen it I mean, of times already, I think it's still a good and compelling fight. So yeah, the, that would be the pod. I hope you guys enjoyed as always. Remember to support if you can support the fight site on Patreon. If you do not have money, you can always share with your friends on social media. Everything helps. And I'll see you guys on Monday. I have a new podcast. It's the the early prelims podcast. It's just a very like short and chill, just like a half an hour or something like that, where I comment what happened last week what's going to happen next week a few news so be aware for that uh had my first episode this week you can check it out and tomorrow friday we're going to have a pix article so if you want to hear more opinions than just mine we're going to have an article with miguel sriram tim and ben all of them are going to put their predictions for the top three fights so look forward to that thank you very much guys i'll see you on the next one